you know? So I guess I always had this mind that I wanted to be a multimillionaire. I wanted to like save the world somehow. And I knew I couldn't do it on just being, having a job. Job. You know? So for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be an actor. And then it was, okay, I'm going to be an inventor. You know, I used to write down so many invention ideas in a book, you know, that was my ingenuity coming in. And so then I thought, okay, I'll invent something. It's going to take off. And that's how I'm going to make my millions. I just knew that I needed to make millions. Alexio, man. Alexio Gibson. Where do we start, man? Where does it start for you, actually? Where does it start? Was it start for you in Palm Beach? Was it start for you in Bahamas? Like, where does it... Well, of course, in the Bahamas, it all started. Like, start up... Let's start talking about the your growing up in the Bahamas. What does that look like? How many brothers and sisters? Like, what does that look like? Growing up in the Bahamas is paradise, man. <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. Breathtaking borders, food, culture... Mm-hmm. You know, so growing up in the Bahamas was very homey, very, you know, everybody knows everybody, you know. So uh, growing up on islands is definitely a lot different than growing up here. Such a bigger world here. Brothers and sisters, like how how was the household? Household was great, man. I stayed with, uh, I grew up with my grandmother, uh, who's uh, sweet as pie, <laughs> you know. Uh, tons of siblings and tons of cousins, you know, all on when the island. When tons, like when you say tons, how many brothers and sisters? Uh, As a Bahamian, I know what time it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we got about 10, <laughs> 10, yeah, so. The way you made it sound so small, you know, we have about 10. That's I mean, not... that's small compared to Caribbean men. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. So you, you know? you, you're absolutely correct. Um, parents, they were in a house mm-hmm. or they just went, like what was the the relationship with your parents growing up with your grandmother? Yeah. How's your relationship with your parents? Oh, my relationship was beautiful with both parents, you know, and their their relationship with each other is fantastic as well. All in yeah. the same house or they, well, they live, island houses so are so my, different. My, my family moved around a lot because my mom was always in aviation and then my father was also in aviation as well. So, you know, they came and go flew around a lot, which is why, you know, I had something more stable with my grandmother growing up, you know. But, what did they do in the aviation, your mother and your father? Like what? My dad uh, is an engineer, uh, aerospace engineer. And my mom, she was just always managing different airlines, different airports, flying here and there, you know? So. Wow. Yeah. So your father is a aero engineer? Yes. Uh, if I want to pronounce it right. So so how when did you come up to the U.S.? Like when? I came to the U.S. probably when I was 10 or 10? 11. Yeah. So was it? Was, did your grandmother move up here, or did you just move up here with other family? No, no. At that point, my mom was more stable. So at that point, you know, I just moved with my mother. She was already up here. Yeah, she was already in up. Palm Beach or uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale. Which my Fort mom Lauderdale? was born in America, so you know that was an easy transition. <laughs> easy transition for, yeah, for you yeah. and her. Yeah. So when so did you move up to Fort Lauderdale first, and you moved back up? Yeah. You moved up here. Yeah, I was in Fort Lauderdale first, and then we moved to Palm Beach later. Later. Did down. you so did you do like high school, middle school, all that Fort Lauderdale? Or yeah, this way? high school and middle school, and then I moved to Palm Beach. I was here for a short mm-hmm. time for college, and then you know then I started traveling as well. So you started. Um, you're, you went to Palm Beach State when living in Palm Beach. Yeah, I started at Palm Beach State and then went to University of Florida. How was the trend? Like, while you're in school, what's that process like of being the Bahamian kid? Just, 
It's a little different for a lot of them because a lot of more West Indian kids in that community. Yeah, lots, actually. There were uh, a lot of Jamaicans, Haitians, Bahamians, Trinidadians. It almost felt like an island melting pot. You, you know? felt home when yeah. you were living down there. A, a lot of Hispanics, too, Cubans. is like, you know, I kind of found my groups because they, were all, they all had similar mannerisms, similar cultures, music, you know, stuff like that. So we had a lot of things in common so it made it easy to make those friends 100% so so when you when you got up here um straight to Palm Beach State College what you what you study what were you thinking about doing did you already know what you wanted to do oh yeah yeah uh, I was in bio biomedical engineering so was it to do what Bi- biomedical engineering was uh, I, I what that is that. is when you go into a hospital and you see all the machinery uh, that's keeping people alive the things that doctors use to operate the cat scans the MRI machines all of those are put together by by medical engineers, you know, that uh, had to build the machine, build the circuit boards, program it, stuff like that. So in a sense, it's to be in a realm to make those machines better, invent something new um, and, and stuff like that. Um, was it more, um, did you get that engineering back from your parents, from your dad? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm my dad's like twin, so. That's so your inspiration, your dad. <laughs> well, uh, you know, my dad's always been really bright, you know, all my siblings too, uh, really good at math and science and stuff like that. So, so I know like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. tree. Yeah. So that, um, so then you, after leaving, well, you left Palm Beach State and went where? Uh, University of Florida for a very short time, but then I got a call from NASA to help them uh, build a rover. Uh, I was gonna just not gonna act like that was like, easy. You just got a call from <laughs> NASA. What is that like? What? Yeah. How did that happen? Well, um, a year prior, I had I was a part of a procurement team that put together a prototype rover, uh, and that was like a three day thing in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and I performed really well, and they remembered me and. A year later, they called and asked if I wanted to come to the headquarters in D.C. Uh, and do some more work for them. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, So that's what I did. They kind of pulled me out of school, and you know, the rest is history. <laughs> so you, didn't, you got right into it? Yeah, I got so, right into it. I went to D.C. I was there for about six months. And at the end of my assignment, my uh, chief of technology, my mentor, she just told me, she said, hey, I think you're too bright to work here. You should start your own and chase your dreams. And she just said, hey, if you want to come back and work here full time, the doors are wide open. But, you know, I, I challenge you to go out. And at the time, I had already had a, a freelance videography business. I was getting paid from jobs that I wasn't physically on because I was in D.C. And uh, I was reading a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad at the time, which was, you know, explain the difference between profits and wages. And here I was, you know, getting profits in the form of checks for a job that was, you know, in Florida while I was in D.C., and it just really put things into perspective of how much power, more powerful entrepreneurship can be, how much freeing it 100%. can be. Because while I'm out with my friends, you know, my guys are shooting footage and, you know, and it's like still getting contracts, still getting paid, even though I'm not physically there. And uh, I think that was really the first time I experienced that because even though I was in entrepreneurship, I had always been a part of working it. You know, it was kind of like you work within your business versus like stepping away completely and it's still, it's still moving. You know, so that was the first time I felt that in real life. So the freedom. Felt that freedom. And uh, it was more money, too. You know, you're making more money uh, than a desk job, you know, wages. <laughs> and um, so by the time I finished my internship and my mentor told me that, it was like, she's telling me this and I just experienced it. I just read about it. 
to me, it was like a full circle confirmation. So you already so is so was film production where you wanted that's the direction you wanted to go when you first got into no. your entrepreneurial hustle or that was always a hobby of mine. You know, I used to be a I used to be a gamer when I was in high school, and I had built a community around my my name in the fighting community. So people used to actually video game fighting, video game fighting. Okay, I want yeah. to be clear. I know yeah, you were yeah. like. Um, Kimbo Slice out here. I don't uh, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had those moments too, but okay. not professional. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, video game fighting games. We would travel for tournaments. Uh, some of us were assigned to like ESPN and stuff like that. And because of like how I handled my character, there was a community that would wait for me to drop videos and tutorials and combo videos. So I had to edit those myself, which was wow. a lot of work. If you ever watch a combo video for any fighting game, it's like fast paced. It's like... You know, so I developed like a hobby and a love for editing, you know, um, I still to this day love editing, you know, so uh, when I was in college, I got Sorry, a, move your mic. I want to make sure the audio is picking you up correctly. Yeah. Uh, when I got to college, I got an opportunity to make videos for the school and I won't, naturally I wanted to get better since I was going to be for something more important. So for my electives uh, for engineering, instead of taking like regular electives, I took film courses instead. So I took lighting grip, advanced editing, blue and green screen, compositing, sound. And that's when I started my film business after shortly after. But so when did the, the love for engineering, you were inspired by your father, then you decided to go into um, film. Mm -hmm. In college, you went into film. Was that just for the, the love and the passion of the arts? And then when did the engineering happen? After like, what made you go into engineering that process? Was well, I was always in school for engineering. I just took film classes on the side. Oh, yeah, okay. I just took them on the side because I was making uh, videos for the college, and then I had because you started, need to earn extra money while you're. Well, uh, I was a part of student government, so it wasn't like a paid thing. Mm -hmm. But I was a student leader, and they wanted me to be their social media uh, manager. And, you know, I had ideas of making comedy sketches and, kit and okay. skits and stuff to keep the college students interested during the SGA meetings and stuff like that. It was something I proposed to them, and they were like, hey, we like this. It's like, okay, get me into film classes, because normally you can't get into film classes unless you are a film student. But because I was in student government, one call to the dean. The relationship. Yeah. The relationship you know, was they, there. They got power of relationship. Yeah, power of relationship. So. So, so after that, you went, you, you had an internship to... Or you, you transferred from Palm Beach Garden. I mean, sorry, Palm Beach State College. Yes. You, you went to UF. Correct. UF, you then got an internship with NASA. Correct. From a program you did. Prior with NASA, yeah. Prior with NASA. NASA. And yeah. the, the, that's where the relationship happened for you to get that next opportunity after that? Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's how I got the Washington, D.C. opportunity. Uh, they, they had 10,000 students mm -hmm. apply to help them build this rover. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they only chose 40. I was one of the 40. And then out of the 40, they they handpicked uh, four people to lead uh, the other 30, 36 people, and I was one of those that they chose. And we had to pitch and present our math findings, our numbers, our algorithms to a board of NASA PhD scientists, you know? And my, uh, my pitch got the best. How was that for you? How was the intimidation? How was the, you know, how... how like what? What gave you the confidence to keep going? Like in that in that direction? Like what? What was it for you that made you stand out from others? I think for, uh, for me it was just my way with people. You know, people were drawn to me. It was charisma. Yeah, it was really easy for me to get a team together. Uh, they trusted me. Nobody, you know, 
if you know if you're in the engineering world, you know most people are like bookworms and mathematicians, but they don't want to get in front of a room. You know, mm. it's the type of personalities that kind of blend into the background and they're happy there. You know, so to have like a kind of extroverted uh, engineer or a science major, it's kind of rare. Where did you get that from? Where did you? How did you build that personality? Well, I used to do. Uh, I used to do show uh, plays when I was a little boy in the Bahamas. My aunt, she's uh, she's like the Medea on the islands, you know. Right, she's right. a, she's a, a comedian. She has a lot of stage plays, and I remember from a little boy, I'll, I'll be feeding her lines from behind the curtain, and then eventually I was in front of the curtain, <laughs> you know. So I think uh, naturally those things just made it a little easier to do public speaking. I mean, it's still nerve wracking, especially when they tell you you're presenting to like NASA scientists that knows these numbers like the back of their hands. And you're going to convince them that your findings is better, <laughs> you know? So it was definitely intimidating and nerve wracking. But for me, it's like I, I step into a fight or flight mode as soon as I hop on the stage, you know? So like you get those nerves like jitters right before you step on. But once you step on and you know that people are dependent on you, it's like, man, you just have to go. You have to wow, that's powerful. put it all behind. So yeah. do you think... You- your upbringing prepared you for that Nassau experience or getting in front of the stage from your eye? You think all that played a role? Yeah. I think every, every, everything I went through in life was a part of the puzzle. You know, mm. you could just, you could never like really dissect it all. But, you know, uh, I think everything led to, to who I am and like what I've been able to do so far. Were you able to get that clarity in that process? Because I started getting that clarity from like 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Like I already knew who I who I am and where I'm going, what I wanted to do, yeah. how I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like all the, I really felt like 11 or 12 years, I knew I was different than most. Yeah. You know, I knew my hunger was different. So did you get some of that feeling? Well, I would say since I was like three, strangers would come up. Uh, I said three. Yeah. Since I was like three, strangers would come up to my grandmother and my mom and just say like, hey, this kid's going to be somewhere Out of 10 kids day. and siblings and cousins all around. Yeah, yeah. You were that guy that they said that to. I, you know, since I was an infant, you know, uh, my grandmother would tell me people would stop her all the time. Like, oh, he's going to be somebody special. For my me, I just that. took apart all my toys trying to figure out how they worked, <laughs> you know, and then try to put them back together. Sometimes I uh, it worked, sometimes it didn't, <laughs> you know. And um, so... Uh, for me, the, my first, like, I guess, entrepreneurial thing ever was probably when I was six. I had a great grandmother at the time that had one of those uh, vendor shops. You know, you come to the Bahamas, you want to buy souvenirs. They hustle. So, yeah, yeah. So she was always an entrepreneur. We always knew her to always have money and work for herself our whole life. And uh, my grandmother had these, uh, like, a pine tree in her yard. They used to drop these pine cones. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I took some gold spray paint that was left in the cupboard and I spray painted them all. And my grandmother used it as like decorations on the table. And I remember my great grandmother coming by and seeing that. And she's like, where'd you get these? These are really nice. I was like, oh, Alexio uh, took them (laughs) from the yard and spray painted them. And she was like, give me like 10. I'm going to put it in my shop, (laughs) you know? So I gave her. a hustle started. Yeah. So I gave it, I gave her some cones and maybe four days later I went by her house to visit. She gave me 40 bucks. She was like, all your cones sold. <laughs> that, how did that 40 bucks feel? It At the felt time, a little different, huh? you're getting like a dollar fifty a day for lunch. Right. You're balling with $40. Oh, you, you went back to school rich. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So so, so the family inspiration, was it only your, your great-grandmother as an entrepreneur, or was there any other family members that was entrepreneurs in the family? Well, yeah, my grandfather, um, he started his business when he was 14. 
and uh, has became a multimillionaire in his 20s. Uh, by the time uh, right now he owns the largest insurance firm in the Bahamas, you know, sure. and um, I mean, my grandfather's in his 80s now, so he's been successful most of his life, you know. Powerful. So although uh, we lived on different islands and I didn't have the direct influence, I always knew of his power and uh, and what he was able to achieve. So, you know, it was kind of like always having, like, another idol in the family to look up to. So it seems like a lot of men, and well, both. I can't just your mom and your father, but you were inspired by the men in your family. How did that role play in your life? You know, the father as the smart engineer, Mm -hmm. that was inspiration for you. Your grandfather, an entrepreneur, a leader in the community. That, that, those pillars, those guys, the men in your family, like how? Do, like, what did that inspiration do for you? I think just knowing that it was possible did a lot for me. You know, everybody else is like doing a nine to five type thing, and since I was a little kid, I always had this vision of like saving all the homeless people. You know, I remember the mm. first time I saw like a homeless person. You know, it really stuck with me. I remember asking like, why? Why are they like that? You know, there's never a clear answer to why they were like that. And it's like, you know, I'm gonna build a mansion with a hundred rooms. Me thinking there's only a hundred homeless people, right? Right, right. Only a hundred. Yeah, so you're gonna save all of them too. Save them all in one mansion with a hundred rooms. And I thought I would be a famous actor, and that's how I was gonna make the money to do it. You know, so I guess I always had this mind that I wanted to be a multimillionaire. I wanted to like save the world somehow, and I knew I couldn't do it on just being having a job. Job. You know, so for me it was like, okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to be an actor. And then it was, okay, I'm going to be an inventor. You know, I used to write down so many invention ideas in a book, you know, that was my ingenuity coming in. And so then I thought, okay, I'll invent something. It's going to take off. And that's how I'm going to make my millions. I just knew that I needed to make millions. <laughs> you know? And your, your main reason to make millions was to take care of people. Yeah. Save the it world. was never for self. It was take care. I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a true, it's an authentic, it's real. My mother reminds me of that all the time now that I actually am a multimillionaire. And she's like, wow, you always said this from a little boy. <laughs> wow. You know? Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. So, so speaking of now you're a multimillionaire, how the heck did you become a multimillionaire? But I want to go back from, I want to know the process of it, this idea, and then the action. Well, it's it's funny. It really ties back right into to that seed as a little boy. I was making sea moss uh, in my kitchen, which is something that's very common in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. It builds a uh, yeah immune system. It uh, helps with diabetes, weight loss. It just it has almost everything the human body needs to survive and to help itself heal. So it's just something on the island. You know, you're sick. Your grandmother make you some bush tea or yeah, yeah. You know, mix some concoction that's nasty, but you know it's going to make you feel better. So when COVID broke out, my grandmother was staying with me. And uh, at the time, she was uh, 79. And she had she was taking medication for, like, different comorbidities, which, you know, if you watch the news, it's like, hey, if you're older and you're taking medication for certain things— COVID could be really deadly. So hearing that, I'm like, I had my grandmother on a sick vitamin uh, regimen. And then I'll put CMOS in her coffee every morning. And, you know, I'd film her on my uh, Instagram story, like drinking it, enjoying it, and every morning making her coffee. And then I had friends who were nurses that were working with COVID people that were terrified because they didn't know if they were going to get it. They had to be around them all day. And they're like, hey, how do we get some of that? I I heard that it's really good. Can I get some? 
And I was like, yeah, send me your address. Because at the time, nobody wanted to like see anybody face to face. This is like when the pandemic first uh-huh. broke out and everyone the was- The fear was there. Yeah. No one even wanted to go outside and breathe the air back then. Right. You know, so I literally was taking the money in my bank account and you spending my own money to ship it directly to him for free. And we had a hashtag uh, that was going around that was like uh, CMOS for nurses. And if you could prove you were a nurse, we sent it to you for free. Wait. So you're just doing this out of your house. Yeah. Vision was to help your grandmother. Yeah. Then a couple friends saw the CMOS, mm-hmm. how I guess it was working for your grandmother, yeah. the happiness, all the things they saw. Yeah. And they said, hey, send me some also. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it wasn't a business transaction. It was, it was yeah. just you helping again. Right. It was just uh, people asking me for some of this medicine. Send me some CMOS also while you're at it, but keep yeah, going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And uh, that's what we did. We sent, we sent it around. And then- then we started getting so many orders that I was literally like going broke, you know, I was getting like 40 orders a week. And it's like, man, 40 times $8 postage plus material. It was starting to add up. And then there was people that weren't nurses that really wanted it too. So like, then we, how moved- did they find you from the hashtag you believe? Well, that and just people's word of mouth, you know, like when I sent people CMOS, they would mm-hmm. then make a video and then tag me in it. Like, wow, thank you so much for this. This is powerful, you know? And then they'll, They'll ask that person, like, who'd you get it from? Or they'll click my tag and say, hey, I saw that so-and-so got CMOS from you. Like, I'll pay you, you know? You know, people just, they didn't even, some nurses didn't even want it for free. They were like, hey, I'm going to pay you so the next nurse can get it for free, <laughs> you know? And, like, that's now it became a whole community yeah. organically, just you helping people. Right, that's Them right. helping people. So yeah. this all started off with you just serving. Just serving, Correct. And once we started getting a ton of orders, I, you know, because I, w- I had such a manual process. People would DM me or they would text me or they'd send me a message on Facebook or a message here, a message there. And it was like all over the place. And I'm like, man, why am I doing this? Let me just create an omni channel and create like a, like a marketplace, you know, like Etsy or Amazon or something like that, where people can go put in their own information, their own shipping and then it'll be so much easier to just like print a label and send it. Because before I was like writing down everything in a notebook and it was like pre prehistoric. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. So that that's when things changed. I put it on the marketplace and I started getting all those orders in. People were sharing it like crazy. Um, so friends, I want to, before you hit there, did you start selling it for profit or just start selling it just to even cover your costs at first? Yeah, at first. So the model we moved to after we started getting too many orders, especially from people who weren't in healthcare, but was like, hey, I just really want it. It was like nurses still got it for free, but everybody else had to pay. And that's how we kind of like broke even or at least were able to keep keep the wheels turning so we could keep serving people. Mm, powerful. Yeah. And then once we put it on a marketplace, those same people would keep ordering and then they would leave reviews. And that's when things changed because the way algorithms work on marketplaces like Amazon uh, and other websites like it, they see how many orders are coming in and what time frame. And then they also com- uh, compare it to the reviews. So it's a formula that kind of uses both, both sales and reviews. So with us getting five-star reviews and so many orders in a small time, when people went on Etsy, uh, there was 5,000 sellers selling CMOS, but we were on the front page because of the algorithms. So now that's when things got crazy. It was like, now I'm not just shipping to Florida. It's Pennsylvania and Texas and Cali. Uh, you know, uh, I actually posted a picture yesterday of like where we started. And it was like a, my mother's dining table. I had like maybe 20 packages. 
had them all spread out like it was a huge, like it was a huge order, you know, <laughs> compared to what we're doing now. It's like, man, that, that, that was small. But back then I was like, wow, I have 23 orders and they're all going to like different states, you know. That had to be a shock. That, and all <clears throat> organically. All organically. That's the so thing. there wasn't even a vision to make this a business. It wasn't. You know, it's funny. Uh, well, the name of my company is The Transformation Factory. And I always had aspirations of creating a documentary, which we're still filming right now, showing the beginning of my weight loss journey to how I got to to my Can you speak a little goal. bit about your weight loss journey? Yeah. Um, my weight loss journey, I lost over 300 pounds in the last, like, maybe eight years or so, you know? And... Uh, I knew I wanted to, we were filming it already. Uh, you know, I had my production company film it and I knew I had an intention to release it to the world so that they can Be become the best version of themselves as well. And I knew at some point I wanted to have some kind of an online uh, presence where people can come and watch it, but they can also have like a community that they can talk to each other and also have like holistic things that they can get. And I knew I wanted CMOS to be a part of that line. However, I didn't plan on launching any products until the doc is was done, you know, just to for, to complete the whole website. Uh, so I always I always joke around and say I kind of got bullied into this business because right, right. even though it's like people wouldn't stop leaving me alone about it, and you know for good reason, you know people have COVID. I had COVID patients reaching out to me like I feel terrible. Can I please get it? And it wasn't until those same people got it that had COVID and got my product. It was like my symptoms went away in like a day. And it was like, man, this stuff is powerful. And they start telling everybody. And it was like a domino effect. And then once we uh, had the search engine optimization where people search and we're on the front page, that's when it opened up uh, really big to like people outside of my network's network network, you know? So you so were you using the CMOS for your weight loss trans? You know, well, it was definitely a, one a of part the, of your part of my regime. You know, you put it in your smoothie. Uh, you know, after a gym. You know, for men in particular, CMOS boosts our libido, our sperm count, our um, our testosterone, everything that we need to function, have clear clear mental uh, thinking, uh, retain muscle, recover from broken muscles when you go in the gym. So, like the ultimate. It is the ultimate. It is the ultimate medicine. Yeah. So uh, uh, you know, I always. You know, I would use it as a face mask, a beard mask. I'd put it in my smoothies, my tea, my coffee. You know, it was just one of those things. You could even cook with it. Put it in your soups, you know, put it in your rice. And, and once it get hot, it doesn't kill anything? No, no, it doesn't. Actually, our ancestors used to boil it because they didn't have Vitamix blenders, <laughs> you know, right, right, back right. in the 1800s and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's been around for over 300 years, you know, on, you know, on paper at least. It could have been to predate right. that too. But, you know, it's a very dense uh, seaweed. And um, to get it into a gel form, today, you know, people use very powerful blenders to, to whip it into a gel. But our ancestors didn't have that, so they would boil it. And when you boil sea moss, it becomes uh, very clear and, like, jello-like, you mm -hmm. know, very liquidy. At that point, you know, you put it in the refrigerator and it gels, you know. So, uh, you know, that's the process. So let's go into the business side. So... You literally were helping, saving lives, doing all these things just organically. Yeah. When did when did you know this was a business? I knew it was a business when we started <laughs> shipping out like over a hundred orders. You know, how and soon did that happen? That happened within maybe six weeks of launch. Within six weeks, we took we were the best selling CMOS brand on the website. 
within six weeks, we were the best sellers. So you went from what? Let's talk about money now. You went from what to what in six weeks? <laughs> I just remember calling my mom because my mom had uh, an eviction notice on her house at the time while I was giving away this stuff for wow. free money. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, so she had an eviction notice on her door. Of course, um, why not? Yeah. Part of the process. Yeah, plus it's COVID. Everyone was losing their their businesses, their jobs, because, you know, everybody's inside now. So we were affected by that, too. Um, you know, so here we are. We have this uh, massive rent, and my mom's literally out every day with a mask on looking for a cheaper place for us to move into. And I just remember calling her. I think it was like maybe the fifteenth day of the month, and I was looking at the uh, looking at my back office in the store. I'm like, man, we did four k in the first fifteen days. I'm like, if we keep up this momentum, we'll have close to to, to ten thousand by the end of the month. And I remember calling her. I was like, yo, ma, come home. Like, stop looking for stuff. <laughs> we gonna yeah, be we're good. gonna be all right. We gonna be good. You know, I just felt it in my spirit. Like it wasn't gonna be like a fling. Right, right. I was like, we're going to be good. And she's like, you sure? It's like, yeah, we're going to be good. And like, not only are we going to be good, I don't even need you to help me. I'm gonna t- obviously, I got it. I'm going to take care of it. <laughs> so who's producing all this with you now? Just you still? Or? No, we have a team of 45 now. Before then? I'm talking about that. Oh, back then? That transition. Like, was it just you grinding it out? In the beginning, it was just me. Uh, then I had uh, my grandmother, my little sister, and my mom <laughs> helping. So my little sister would tape the boxes and I had like little recipes that I would put with each one. So she, well, my little sister would staple those pages. My grandmother, she was the one that decorated every jar. It had like a hand string that said, you know, thank you. you know? Of course, and gratefulness. She, yeah, and she she did it with such a big smile. And my mom, she helped me with the hardest job, which was cleaning the sea moss, which, uh, you know, sea moss comes out of the ocean full of salt, um, very fishy. Nobody wants to put something fishy in their coffee, you know? So right. you really have to clean it thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly to get it to like a neutral state where you don't taste it. And that's a lot of work, you know? And I remember uh, I put myself in the hospital for four days because I went three days without sleep because of the amount of orders we had. And it was just us three. And, you know, grandma has to go to bed. She's elder. Little sister has to get up for school, and I'm there four in the morning still blending. <laughs> Five wow. in the morning still blending, you know? Because at the end of the day, you had to make these orders. You had to make it happen. I had to make it happen. The thing is, once you're in a marketplace, people expect their stuff in a certain amount of days. If they don't get it, they want a refund. Uh, marketplace will shut your store down because now it seems like you're scamming people. You and know? in the back of your head, you still got to make sure mom... The bills are paid um, now. <laughs> yeah. You know, so... When I got out of the hospital, I remember posting something on my Instagram because, uh, you know, I, you know, they knew I was in the hospital and I had every all my friends blowing me up like, hey, I'd help you, man. You know, like, you know, friends. From I think college. your phones make when it goes off is affecting the camera. Is it? Yeah, but it's cool. It's- yeah, I'm going to hold it here. Uh, but but yeah, when I got out, I had so many messages from friends and uh, that was just saying, hey, you know, I want to help. There were a lot of people at home doing nothing because of COVID. So I had my first, my first employee, his name was Christian Gonzalez. He was uh, uh, 19 or 20 at the time. Right. And he came and he, he was like my first hired help. And then, uh, then I had Alexandra, then Chef Rob and Champ and Adrian. And they were the first five that worked with me in my mom's house every day. So even though I have a team of 45 now, everybody knows that those five are the OGs. And we call them that. They came in from the bottom. They're from the bottom. Yes, they're the belly of the beast. So we go all out for the OGs. Their birthdays, uh, you know, anytime we celebrate our anniversary, 
they always get special treatment because they literally came to my home every day and and worked uh like sometimes sixteen hours. Was was that mainly because of the movement? You think that everybody started coming? We're willing to support you after the hospital and all that. Yeah. All this is in how many, what's the amount of time all this was happening? This all happened, I want to say when I've got my hired help, I was probably five months in. Because the reason why I needed help and why things got so crazy is because there was a CMOS company in Atlanta. They didn't make their own CMOS. They were looking for the best person on the market to make it and put their label on it. It's called white labeling. Yeah, I understand. And, um... So they reached out to me and they said, wow, you have the best CMOS on the marketplace. You know, uh, everybody loves your gel. Could we work together? They said in the beginning, we'll probably send you 50 orders a week, which at the time would have been like doubling my orders. This was like new into the business still. And so said, so done. They started sending me 50 orders a week. And then they took the money that they were making and they scaled their ads up. They were running like they were running ads and they started scaling it. And she told me, she said, I'm going to be scaling up. Can you handle it? Yeah, I didn't want to say no, you know. Right, Plus, right. I honestly didn't know what to expect. And the height of our relationship, I think she sent me 800 orders in one week, you know. And it's just me. And, you know, I fulfilled all 800 by myself. And that's what put me in, in, in the hospital, you know. So now we had my brand and we had another brand all in the same I was white house. labeling your product. Right. But what was interesting about that lesson was that I probably organically had maybe at the time 150 orders a week. And they had 800 and they were selling it for twice the amount that I was selling it for. So I immediately my mind just was like, I know it's not the product because, uh, and it's not the, it wasn't the the design either because at the time they didn't have labels. Our jars just had thank you tags. So it was very generic. It didn't have like a brand on it. Mm-hmm. So the way we decorated our jars was the same way we decorated theirs. So it wasn't a difference in product. It wasn't a difference in look. It wasn't a difference in packaging, the marketing. but they had, it was the marketing. That's like, and I literally told myself, I need to become a beast at marketing because everything I had studied so far was content creation mm-hmm. and engineering, but not marketing. And in a sense, videography is marketing. And I did, I, I made content for, for businesses that would use it for marketing, but I had never put two and two together until that moment. And I started obsessing about marketing, watching hours and hours of videos on YouTube, uh, taking some of my profit and, and enrolling in like courses from gurus who were killing it in the e-commerce space. And, uh, and then I had enough information where, you know, I was scrolling one day and I saw a guy uh, teaching courses on, on running ads and he was really, really good. Young guy out of England. And he was like a beast to me after, you know, and I just reached out to him. I was like, man, I know you don't know me. I don't want to do your course. I want you to work in my business, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and he was like, he gave me a calendar. He's like, book time with me. Book time with him. And literally he, at that time we had so many customers, like emails. We had what's called like a pixel, which kind of tracks all the sales that you've ever had. And like, if you've ever, for example, went on Google and looked up some Jordans and then you go on Instagram and you're scrolling and now you see a bunch of Jordan ads, that's called uh, ad retargeting. So uh, the way the algorithms uh, and the AI know to target you is based on data they collected or like your purchase history on your phone, you know? And so we had all that data, but we weren't using it in in any ads. Mm. So normally you run a business for a while to get enough data to run ads, but we were were sitting on that and wasn't doing anything. 
with it. So after our call, you know, I got him access to my store. He was like, bro, you're sitting on gold. He's like, I'm so positive I can blow things up for you that I'm going to work for free for the first three weeks. <laughs> I don't know why three is such an odd number, but he was like three weeks. After two days, uh, he quadrupled our sales. After at 48 hours, I hired him on the third day. I said, forget the trial. Let's get to work. <laughs> you know? It's go time. It's go time. And we literally went from doing like maybe 40K a month at that time in sales to uh, 300,000 a month in sales. What kind of net are you talking about earlier on like that? What do you mean? A net profit. Are you? Uh, well, our profit margins were extremely healthy because the cost of the product, uh, especially because we were making it ourselves and there was no middleman. It was everything in house. You know, so it's like just cost of materials. Very healthy. So you're at margin. 60, 70% net, you believe? Oh, yeah, easily. 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 So, mom, everything changed. Everything changed. Yeah, everything changed. In a matter of months. Everything changed in a matter of months. I couldn't believe how fast. And, you know, and this was like maybe eight months into the business when I met, uh, you know, my uh, my marketing director now. You know, I was like eight months in and we were doing really well. But we weren't doing uh, six figures a month well yet. You know, I, I knew it was possible because that's what the, my uh, drop shippers were doing. Mm-hmm. My, my white label team, they were doing crazy numbers like that. Um, but we, we weren't even close to that because we, we didn't have any campaigns yet. We had the data, very rich data, but now we had it working for us. And that changed everything. So so where, are you still dealing with white labeling or are you just oh, now? No, no, I'm not. Um, funny story with that. I guess they decided they wanted to cut the middleman out and do it themselves. Oh. But the problem is we're the Coca-Cola of CMOS formula. Talk about it. Talk yeah, your yeah. shit. Talk about it. <laughs> Nobody has our formula, our smoothness, our process. I mean, I'm it's a, a care that you're giving the process. Oh, and absolutely. you're a scientist, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've shipped our stuff to Brazil, labs in Brazil with PhD scientists outside of the United States just to get our process, like, to a scientific level. So it's like, you're not just going to go in the kitchen and blend what we do. Right. You no, know, you're not, you know. so What's the reason of going that hard for your product? Well, you know, you want to make sure that people are getting the, the most nutrients they can get. You want to know that it's a very enjoyable product. You know, like imagine trying to get kids to eat something that's healthy. Like, how do we do that? You know, and it's, it's you know, by making sure the product is very neutral in its base, you don't know it's there. You know, it's like, it's kind of like if, if your mom slips it into your orange juice and yet you can't taste any aftertaste, then you don't know it's there. You get 92 minerals, you know. Um, so I, I knew I wanted it to be like that because, you know, my little sister was a picky eater. I'm a picky eater. <laughs> I think my grandmother was the only one that would like, drink anything bitter or, or whatever that was right. healthy because she was just an OG like yeah, that. Yeah, it was grandma. <laughs> you know? She's so used to bush trees and things. Uh, yeah, man, easily. Yeah. You know? So now I want to get right in. So you're now moving the business. You're doing very well in the net side. You're growing this business. What made you say and, and what did you do when you had this idea, I want to go into Shark Tank? Like, how did that whole thing come about? Well, funny story. Um, when I was at my one of my heaviest weights, I was supposed to be on a TV show uh, called The Biggest Loser. Um, you know, I was casted for that show, but then like I didn't make the season. And then they called me the following year for a new season. It was like, hey, we're gonna get you on this one. Puzzle. And then that didn't happen again. And then the same producers called me again six months later, and they're like, hey, we have another weight loss show called Extreme Weight Loss. You know, we want you to be on that one instead. It's more personal. It's more inspiring. 
And I made it all the way to finals to the point where they flew me out and I started filming for for the show. And uh, long story short, that opportunity fell through as well. But, the but how did you get to even that point of interacting with these people? Like There was an open casting call in Miami, and my mom tricked me to go. Um, they were looking for, like, duos, whether it was friends, family members, whatever. It was a, it was a season where they were going to be working in teams versus teams, you know? And uh, so she was like, hey, we should do it together, you know? And I was like, okay, you want to do it? Let's, mom let's said go. it, let's go. Yeah, so we waited on a 10-hour line for that casting. And when we got to the door, she pulled out. She's like, oh, you go, baby. They're going to love your story, <laughs> you know? So she set me up. And she was right. They did love my story. You know, at the time I was working with NASA, too. And, you know, and they, they called me back and called me back and called me back. But, you know, with these TV shows, it's like dynamics and it's lawyers and it's just like so many things involved. Uh, so, but the producers, they really liked me. And they kept in touch with me for years after the show, even even though I didn't make the show. They, would, they were following me on IG, LinkedIn, Facebook, every time I had a new accomplishment, they would show their love, you know, and support. Then I lost uh, I lost a lot of weight on my own after that, so they congratulated me on that too. It's like, see, you didn't need So you were connecting them with them through social media, social and they media. kept on watching your... Kept watching, and one, one lady in particular, her name was Holland. She was one of the producers of the show, and she saw when my CMOS business started booming. And she was like, have you heard of uh, Shark Tank? Have you thought about it? And I was like, man. Relationships again. Yeah, relationships. And I was like, man, I love that show. She's like, well, they're going to be casting around May, but I want you to send someone this. I, I want you to send an email to this email uh, in March. You know, it's two months early, but but it's okay. You know, I opened the door for you. And I remember emailing that email and hearing nothing back, you know. And then May came. This was March now. May came where, where now casting's open for everybody. And I'm like, man, should I, should I just... March this year? Like, literally? No, last year. Last year, okay. Yeah, because my episode just aired this weekend. But, but you we filmed, filmed it last it year. September last year. So the official casting started May of last year. But, like, she wanted me to send an email to this email in March, two months before casting. And I, I didn't hear anything back. I didn't get anything back. So when May happened, I, I got frustrated. And I was like, man, let me just apply like a regular schmegular person, <laughs> you know, so I don't miss right. this window. And I, I went on the Shark Tank website and I submit my application. You know, they have a lot of junior producers that make these calls because there's so many people applying. So, you know, I, I got a phone call from a guy that was a junior and we did a phone interview. And based on the story, how we started, you know, everything that's gone on in my life. And then we gave them the numbers. It was like a boom for them. They were like, oh, we're moving you to the next round, <laughs> you know. So they moved me right away to the next uh, the next part of the casting process. After that, it was a very long process of, like, filming at-home footage, uh, sending them uh, numbers and practicing pitches, and hopefully you'd make it again to the next round and the next round and the next round. You know, so many so many uh, times you can get cut. And, uh, you know, everything just kept sounding really good. And I remember one day, you know, now we're no longer in my mom's house, you know. We're, um, which, by <laughs> moved the way, on up to the east side. Yeah, well, we had a neighbor that was really complaining about all the 18 wheelers coming and dropping off pallets oh and glass <laughs> and packing peanuts. And it, honestly, my, my neighborhood started to look like a warehouse district. <laughs> and Clearly. I, I'm in Wellington, and no, they didn't want that. <laughs> right, right. They used to walk in their dogs, and it being clean and quiet and green. Here we are with like trash piled up to the streets and, you know, stuff like that. So wow. we got a nice letter saying that we had 10 days to stop business from the county of Wellington. 
And then luckily we found a commercial property within like seven days. And uh, <laughs> so now we're in a commercial property. I have my staff there. And I remember getting a call from California. This was after we submitted everything. We were already like three rounds in. And um, they were like, hey, we want to congrat. And I, was, I stopped them right there as soon as they said, I knew what they were about to say. And I said, hold on one second. You mind if I run back inside and put this on speakerphone? I want my whole team to hear this at the same time, <laughs> you know? So I went back inside. Whatever there was, you, congrats, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I stopped in mid-sentence. I was like, no, this is not happening. I got to let the whole crew know at the same time. We got to hear this together. And I went back inside because it was really noisy. You got everybody packing, taping, blenders going off. And I went back inside. I muted the phone. I was like, everybody, turn off everything. Come here, come here, come here. Everybody came to the middle. And I put the phone down. I put it on speaker. My grandmother was there that day, too, helping the lady. Powerful. And, um, and then I said, hey, can you continue what you were saying? And he was just like, hey, I just want to congratulate you. Uh, you made it to the final round. You're going to be on Shark Tank. <laughs> you know? And it's like, yo, every, uh, my whole staff lost their they mind. They went crazy. They lost their mind. They couldn't believe it. <laughs> so did, did you, you wanted it to go more for what? To promote the business? More for the investment? Like, what well, did you really want to go into Shark Tank? If you're already scaling and doing right. good business. So for me, it wasn't about the dollar amount that they could offer me because our cash flow at the time was just so good. And so, you know, a lot of times with new businesses, they need an investor to not go under or or to help scale further. Unfortunately, that wasn't our problem. We had we had the cash flow to do what we needed to do. For me, it was I knew for, for a fact as a first generation uh, CEO and being the first one to really, even though there were people in my family that that had businesses, none of them had direct influence or like right. someone absolutely. I grew up with. I know, I, I, I'm living it. I know what you're talking about. Right. So it's like, I you know I'm a sponge, you know, and I, I don't come with an ego. So I know I want to be like the most quiet person in the room. You know, I want to be the one that knows the least in a room. And I knew by working with sharks who are, are worth hundreds of millions, or in Mark Cuban's case, billions of dollars, that I would learn and I would learn a skill that no matter what, I would be successful in life. Whether it was this business or another business, I would have the skill to start something new and it'll be successful. So um, for me, it was the uh, having the relationship capital that the Sharks have between all the networks, the HSNs, the Walmarts, the Targets, that's already done. And then second, being able to work directly with someone that's smart, you know, that can bring me up. As a young CEO, I would have like the knowledge of a beast at such a young age. You know, and, and to this day, even when I made my deal, I told the sharks that on the show, I want to work with the shark that's going to work directly with me, <laughs> you know, because I had four offers on the table. At that point, I can be a little picky. I'm like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. And then everybody was still down. So I was like, OK, I made it a little harder, but <laughs> you came in confident, too. Yeah. Thank you. man. Everyone's you, been saying that. <laughs> yeah, And it's not. But I think you just were sure about your product. Um, as far as your team, everything you could tell when there's confidence with your team. Yeah. I, th I think that was more your business was strong, and I think your team was strong. So I think you wasn't worried about if they gave you the money or not, because right. a lot of people go in there with trying to get money. Like you said, I think you were looking for the mentorship and you know the support around that and to grow as an entrepreneur. Yes. So organically, it just it, it looked organic. It looked like you just really wanted. To build relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's always been, it sounds like that's your secret. One of your secrets of success is genuine relationship that you trust, yeah. that you carry on as you go. That's what I'm watching that's consistent with you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. I, I would say you're right about that. You know, so once once you got, 
What is the process like after you guys made the deal happen? What happens after that? That's when the real work starts. So here's the thing with Shark Tank. They uh, overfilm. So just because you film doesn't mean that you're going to air, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, they might have, they may film 180 episodes, but only air 120 of them. How do they determine uh, who to air? It's a due diligence process after the show. So the deal you see on the show, it is a real deal, but they're not going to actually give you the money and sign a contract until they do their due diligence because people go on the show and they lie just to get a deal. Because, you know, it's the first time they're hearing about your story and your pitch. The only people that know about it prior to those double doors opening are the producers. It, the, the Sharks are genuinely hearing it for the first time. So imagine you go invest uh, half a million dollars in a company without doing your due diligence and find out that their numbers were, were you know, were, were, were not accurate. Or, like, there's some issues in the business that they see that's going to make it fail. You know, so after that, it's a lot of back and forth and emails, uh, sharing paperwork. Not a negotiation happened. Yeah, well, we're not so much negotiation because they'll stick to the deal for the most part that they made on the show. But they want to see, like, proof of sales. They want to see your accounting. They want to know if you have, like, your, st- your ducks lined up. Do you own your trademark? Do you, uh, you're doing food. Are you, do you have an FDA approved facility? You know, can somebody just come in and shut you down because you're not doing things the right way? Mm. So they were very, very, very specific. And that whole process was like seven months, you know. So for us, we started to get nervous if we were even going to air because we knew the season finale was going to be in May. Wait, so when did you find out it was going to be air? Three weeks before. (laughs) So imagine waiting that long, right? Going through the whole due diligence process. Right. Right. And... You know, I was starting to look and I'm like, man, the season is ending uh, next month. You know, it was the end of April. And I'm like, yeah, what are we going to do? Like, I don't think we're airing. No one's emailing us anymore. Like after we were done with the due diligence process, like a good six weeks went by with like hearing nothing. You know, and I remember reaching out to one of the uh, team members on, on, on the show. It's like, hey, you know, when do we get an air date? Or, you know, and they're like, oh, we, we can't talk about that yet. You know, like everything was so hush hush. You know, and I was like, what's going on? And I even reached out to some uh, producers that worked with us and they didn't know anything either. Or, you know, and I was like, man, I told I told my uh, my director, I was like, I don't think we're going to air. But I'm like, we're going to be not even. It don't even sound like your personality, you doubting it. But you know what it was? It's like, it's because now we know the show's ending in the next four weeks. So timing and was And we uh... still haven't heard anything. And here's another thing. They told us that we would know three weeks before our air date. So So that time is getting closer. Yeah. So now it's four weeks. I was like, they literally have a week to tell us. They told you though. Yeah. So now this is the funny part. We're on our third week. Still don't have an email. So I'm like, okay. So we were definitely not on it. It's three weeks. They told us we would have a three week notice. It was exactly three Fridays before the the season finale. Funny story. So I used to use my own personal email uh, when I first started the business. And then as things got bigger and bigger, we moved over to like a domain email and started doing things the right way i forgot that when i signed up to shark tank i used my personal email so it was sitting in there for a whole week a congratulations letter (laughs) oh man talk about funny right no that ain't funny why would you so the whole time you waiting it's sitting there it was sitting there what made you go in that email you know when I, i thought about it because all right so the the Your whole team should have got on you in that I one. I know. But what happened was uh, one of the Sharks, uh, Mark Cuban's team, 
we had been emailing each other back and forth. And I got to the point where I was like, hey, some of our materials take at least a month to get shipped here. We want to prepare for some uh, exposure that big. And we just, at that point, we just sent a blunt email just saying, hey, what are we doing? Because if we're going to be on this show, we haven't heard anything yet. And we're not going to be prepared for the influx of orders. And that's when uh, Mark Cuban's team reached back and was like, hey, all I can say is be ready for the season finale. <laughs> and I lost my mind when I read that. And um, because, you know, it's so funny. I kept telling my team leading months up to it. I said, the way they filmed my episode, I feel like we have a strong enough story to be the season finale. Mm. It was just a gut feeling. But, you know, as it got closer to the end, I was like, man, I don't know anymore. So after after they said that, I went into my email and I just typed in Shark Tank because my my uh, previous email has like over 300,000 emails from junk and like wow, PayPal wow. transactions from the store and all this other stuff. So it's an email I completely ignore because it's cluttered. So I just went and I typed in Shark Tank and there it was. Congratulations. <laughs> there it was, you know. So, so I, I, after <laughs> you guys won, so it's been literally... A week now? Uh, it hasn't been a week yet. Tomorrow makes a week, yeah. Tomorrow's making a week. What? The, so you got your deal with Mark Cuban yeah. and Kevin Hart. Yeah, Kevin Hart, the comedian. Is there a lot of relationship with that? Yeah. Or well, it's well, more, due, you still in due diligence? You still in the process? Well, we're done with the due diligence part. Uh, we should be working together probably in the next few weeks, you know, now that everything is, is done and so, settled. So now let's talk about, now is. It's aired on television. Right, right. What happened after that this week? I'm still catching up to emails, messages, phone calls. It's crazy. Like, I told my assistant, I'm like, if you, if it's, if you don't put it on my calendar, I'm going to miss it. Because- Clearly, we we experienced that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know what? I tried to do that myself, but I'll get her involved. And I'm like, why did I do this? I know I can't manage yeah. everything, <laughs> you know? Once I got her involved, look, I'm here, you know? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So let's, let's talk about even us. So we ran into each other um, at brunch. Yeah, I don't go nowhere. Yeah. I'm a I'm a lame. <laughs> I mean, I go at, at time place, but yeah. a buddy of mine, which he's gonna be so pissed. I didn't tell him we were you were you're here. Yeah. We went to brunch and we we never sit at the bar. Like I don't like I'm telling you, I'm so lame. Yeah, yeah. Like and then we run into we get we sit next to each other and you start talking to me about like thing like I, yeah. I was definitely super inspired by how organic everything happened. And then when you were telling me about the cafe, which is right across the street, how like it was mind blowing how you were breaking that down to me, man. And you know, I I don't know. You can tell the story. I don't know if you want to. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I went to brunch. What was it? Sunday? Yeah. I think it was Sunday. Um, And you know, it's so funny because as we came in, the, the girls that I were with, uh, one of them was cracking a joke because we, we were both like bearded yep, and involved, yeah. you know. So she was like, "Did you guys plan this? Yeah, it's like you guys having a, a convention it's here? A ball bearded convention <laughs> yeah, going so on? I'm like, you always talking slang, you know." <laughs> so anyway, I sit right next to you and like, you know, it's like I remember just dapping you up for, you know, it was just like you said, really organic. And then through talking, it was like, man, you have this podcast and. I was like, man, I just got a DM from a company that wants us to start podcasts because, you know, we were just on Shark Tank. And, you know, that was it. After that, we took the the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just yeah. super inspired by it. And like I said, I get people all the time that come and they're telling me about who they are, what they're doing. I'm so used to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, and even when you're telling me about how you were inspired from what we did at Coffee Hub. Yes. So I never realized how big 
Cafe Hub was yeah. to the community <laughs> until when I'm out in the community and like so many people came to me and just say, you know, you inspired me. Black excellence. I've never seen anyone ever build something in our community. Yeah. It's happened to me, you know, I'm not saying every time, but it's about three to four times I've people just came to me and actually told me this thing. But I've had people that came out of prison. I remember I never forget a guy came out of prison. He was telling me like, I want to become a chef. Yeah. What are you talking uh, about? Yeah. He was like, I read your article when I was in prison. And I'm sitting there like, Wow, that's powerful. Uh, don't put that on me. First, I'm not a chef. I'm <laughs> yeah. an owner of the restaurant, but yeah, yeah. I don't want to take the title of a chef. I respect those guys. I definitely don't do what they do. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think for me, the reason I'm saying that, I think it's just so important because you're going to inspire so many. Yeah. And to hear when you're telling me about how I inspire you and becoming, you know, doing what you're doing. And it's just, I think that's that community, man. That's why it was so important for me to have this interview to have this conversation with you so I can make sure I inspire the ones, the hustlers, the people that are starting from all type of different things in life and doing all different things. And what, you know, what you did is, it, you know, somebody could feel like they could do it also. It's attainable. They're watching you. They're seeing what you're doing, being on Shark Tank, being a local guy from this community, starting off at a video. Like you hustled, you know, the, the hustle kept you going, but you saw that also growing up. So it was just, you know, it's part of human nature for you, you know, yeah. you know, watching all that. I, I'm just super inspired, man, by your your hustle, your grind, and you really focusing on the care and serving people. Yeah. Like that's ultimate. Like for me, that's the most genuine thing I could hear. Um, f like you said, a couple things, freedom, you know, my ultimate goal is to free my family and create this culture and our family where we can move like we're free. You know, my, my family move like we're still locked up, you know, and they're so afraid to do certain things. They're afraid to invest. They're afraid to do certain things, but they're yeah. hustlers, but it's just, they still move like they're locked up. I and I think for you, what you've done and how you put people first, yeah. it's super inspiring, man. You make me just definitely want to go and and fight for more to do more. But uh, I'm very impressed, man. I'm very, very, I think is I know it's just the beginning for you. And I just want to make sure that we stay connected and we, we find ways to inspire more. Yes. yes. Connect with more, develop more. I think there's a lot more people that want to be free. They just don't know they're slaves. So yeah. it's just like, you know, we'll figure out how to actually inspire them to want more. And there's, you know, I think a lot more to come, man. I don't know if, you know, I, I want to ask you a, a, one last question to kind of wrap some of this up. Sure. If you had an opportunity to hire yourself, would you hire yourself? And oh, why? yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I would hire myself because I take like 10 no's before I give up. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm very creative, you know, um, I'm consistent. And my discipline is like, is, is really big. And then my relationships with people, my leadership skills, you know, I, I have a, a great skill of being able to bring people together, keep them together. You know, I would absolutely want someone like me on my team. And I do. She's my uh, COO and uh, she's a PhD. She's really good with people. People love her. They feel inspired around mm -hmm. her. And uh, she creates a really good culture, you know, and, um, I've seen what she's done for my business. I can step away for two months and come back and the house isn't burning down. You know? Wow. Is there anything you will, the you know, the viewers watching, is there anything you would tell them in their process of hustling, you know, from your testimony or any books or any tips or tricks that you learned in your process that really elevated you to another level? 
Absolutely. I would say uh, one of the most important things is to have a really strong why. And I'm sure people hear, hear this before, but you need to have uh, something that you're fighting for. For me, it was my family. My family was losing their home. Uh, it was the fear of losing my grandmother from COVID, uh, the fear of losing my friends who worked with COVID people. That, uh, so that was my why. Was like, I want to help these people. You know, I have a strong why because things will get tough. Things will get challenging. The people closest to you will project their fears on you. And you have to love those people enough to shut them out, do what you need to do, and come back and save them later. You know, um, I had a lot of naysayers. I had people messaging me like, you doing CMOS? I thought you were a NASA scientist, like downplaying it, you know? And it's like, man, uh, working a job at NASA would have probably brought me uh, six figures a year. You know, we do that in a week, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you talk. know, you have to be able to like ignore the people around you that's projecting their fears. And it's not always that they're trying to be negative. Like it could be like your mom that just wants to protect you and say, hey, how are you going to give up working for NASA? Like my mom said, like, how are you going to give up working for NASA to go go do uh, entrepreneurship? Like that's a sure job, you know, and that's an prestigious job. It's like, mom, I hear you. You hit, you hit all the check for an island woman. You oh, know that, yeah. Right? 100% Caribbean mom, yeah. you know? So it's like when you hear that, you still have to remember your why and like why you're doing it. And one thing a mentor taught me that I really stick with was don't take advice from people that's not where you want to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily even that they might not have good advice. Is that if they could have done it, they would have. So, you know, I tend to surround myself by movers and shakers and doers and people that don't quit people that have like a relentless ambition, like, like Kanye West. I'm a huge Kanye fan. Me too. You know, huge, huge Kanye fan because it's like, man, I don't know how I'd be able to perform if the whole world was on me, uh, against me, you know, and still be able to have that level of confidence and that love, that vision that says, whatever, I'm going to be worth $7 billion <laughs> one day, like he is now, you know, and stories like that, people like that is like, images I surround myself with or I watch or I listen to music, you know, and stuff like that. Just make sure your environment is clean. I don't watch the news. To me, it's the, the best way to keep your vibrations low and to project fear into your life. You know, um, you're scared to even leave the house sometimes. I don't watch the news. I try to make, I watch a lot of podcasts, uh, listen to audio books, um, YouTube videos, and pretty much just music. You know, I try to keep my mind clear. Powerful, man. Let, let people know where they can get in contact with you at, man. All right. So uh, our business page is CMOS Transformation on Instagram. My personal page is Alexio 2.0. That's A-L-E-X-I-O-U 2.0. And those are pretty much the places I'm most active. Get with CMOS. Yeah. We need CMOS in this world. CMOS, yeah. CMOS, our website is CMOSTransformation.com. There you can see all of our packages, everything that we have to offer. Brother Alexia, man. Yes, yes. thank you. Thanks for having it's me. It's a real one, man. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, yeah. We're out. Thank you. <laughs>